Welcome to the Yoga Mat Podcast. I'm Matt Barker. We'll be learning about different aspects of health, hearing from guests who share their knowledge and experience about the benefits of health in all areas of life. Sports and exercise, art and music, health at home and in the workplace, and of course, yoga. So welcome to episode three. This episode of the Yoga Map Podcast is about health. I'll be talking about the origins of health, sports and exercise, and later I'll share my interview with my guest Beanie Robinson, who alongside her sister runs the Health Space in London in the UK. We'll hear how she helps her clients discover and implement healthier behaviours, and look at ways you can make small changes that can bring big results. So, what is health? The Oxford English Dictionary defines health as the state of being free from illness or injury or a person's mental or physical condition. And while that might sound a lot like just not being sick, being healthy can range from being able to easily go about our day-to-day activities to the most extreme athletes pushing their bodies to the limits. Generally, the first thing people think of as good health is good physical health condition brought about through sports and exercise. The global health and fitness industry is valued at close to $100 billion. According to the IHRSA, the International Health Racket and Sports Club Association, it's projected to grow at a rate of 7.8% over the next five years. But for all the gym memberships being sold worldwide, people still spend very little time being active at work, at home, or during their leisure time. It's estimated that in the last half of the 20th century, daily energy expenditure for city dwellers has decreased about 800 calories. That's the equivalent of walking about 15 kilometers daily. Sedentary behavior is so widespread in modern society that it's reached epidemic proportions, and that comes with harmful consequences. Lack of exercise and poor health can lead to heart attacks, diabetes, and other physical ailments, but also issues including mental health. The World Health Organization states that depression affects more than 264 million people, with 800,000 committing suicide each year. That's one person every 40 seconds. We already know that fitness and exercise are extremely important, Now, thanks in part to increased studies about mental health, we realize practicing meditation and mindfulness, getting better sleep, and how we engage in social behavior and relationships are all just as important as physical health towards maintaining a well-balanced, healthy lifestyle. Also, the excuse of expensive gym memberships or the once difficult task of finding a good range of healthy foods is no longer an issue. Nowadays, People are able to take control of their own health from home through a plethora of health, fitness and mindfulness apps to streaming classes and online videos. And along with the easy access of healthier foods and a multitude of recipes and diets, it's now possible to discover ways to create a healthier lifestyle that fits you. For those who do seek healthier living, 
There are also vast amounts of outlets to be able to find fun ways to enjoy and challenge themselves. From being outdoors and walking with friends and family, joining cycling clubs and yoga studios, all the way to competing in marathons, triathlons and Spartan races on their weekends. And thanks to the internet, there are thousands of yoga, fitness and mindfulness challenges to enjoy with other like-minded online users. It feels like we live in a world where our understanding of health is greater than it's ever been. But is it? Between 4000 BC and the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 AD, civilizations rose and fell through conflict and conquest. Babylonians, Egyptians, Persians, and later on the Greeks and Romans all imposed physical training on boys and young men. The purpose? Preparing for war. Young men practiced fundamental and natural movement skills in preparation for conflict. Activities that tested their mobility, strength, and endurance, as well as unarmed fighting and weapons training. Not surprisingly, this physical training became competitive, and civilized populations began to value these competitions as sport. Records of athletic competitions exist from ancient Egypt, and of course, the ancient Greeks famously created the first Olympic Games. The first Games took place in 776 BC when a cook named Coriobus won the only event, a 192-meter foot race called the Stard, the origin of the modern word stadium. Although training and sports competitions were already taking place, the Greek scholar Hippocrates, who is regarded as the father of medicine, was the first to point out the therapeutic value of exercise. He stated that eating healthily by itself will not keep a man well, he must also have physical exercise. Sometime later, Galen, a medic and philosopher who became the Roman Empire's greatest physician, wrote about the difference between movement and vigorous movement and the alternation of breathing. Basically, if movement caused a faster or more frequent change in breathing, that movement became exercise. Just like the Roman and Greek warriors, our view of physical health has generally been developed by our external needs. But during the 5th to the 15th centuries, the chaotic Middle Ages saw plagues, barbaric invasions, and the spread of Christianity. During this time, the body was seen as sinful and unimportant. So it was not until the Renaissance period of the 17th century that much greater interest in the body, health, and physical education took place. Physical education, which included gymnastics, calisthenics, wrestling, riding and fencing, were beginning to be taught in schools, and sports science and sports medicine began to be studied on a wider scale. Again, it was military organizations leading the way in training students. Gymnasiums and other sports facilities became more commonplace around the late 1700s. Sport also took on a nationalistic pride, not just for the readiness of war, in Scotland, for example, the Highland Games began with events distinctive to the Scottish culture, like tossing the cable, hammer throwing, and stone lifting. In the early 20th century, Frenchman Edmond de Bonnet 
managed to make physical exercise and strength training fashionable through the publication of fitness journals by opening a chain of exercise clubs. Until World War I, it was expensive to attend these clubs, and it wasn't until after the war that the working class were able to access these facilities. Around the same time in the United States, Bernard McFadden rose as a prominent health guru and healthy living advocate. He published the magazine Physical Culture and began to run bodybuilding competitions. He was the man responsible for the rise of physical culture's greatest icon, Charles Atlas. McFadden and Debonnet were the precursors to the health and fitness industry as we know it today. After World War II, gyms in California began to pop up, like Muscle Beach and the Universal Gym. These attracted celebrities from Hollywood, which then introduced the aesthetic-driven, bodybuilding idea of fitness into the homes of millions of people. Since then, it has grown to become a multi-billion dollar industry. With that, a dichotomy of ideas. On one side, promises of better health in a matter of weeks, littered with diets, gadgets and supplements. And on the other, the benefits of greater studies in sports science and the availability of that knowledge to the public. Although current statistics of population health are perhaps discouraging, the health and wellness industry's focus is shifting beyond merely beautifying our bodies and onto activities that heal us more deeply. As a result, our collective vision of health is expanding towards total well-being. Total well-being isn't just about healing our bodies, it's about nourishing our minds, spirits and the communities to uplift everyone involved. As employers begin to see the benefits of happier, healthy employees, they too are moving to support a paradigm of total well-being. There is a lot of information out there. However, this current change in how we view health as a whole puts the power into our own hands to be able to take care of our own health. And while promises of six packs and fat loss in just two weeks still haunt the internet, people are beginning to realize that personal health is for the long term and it needs to be part of your lifestyle. Small changes can be all we need to begin our life towards better health. As we've learned, it's now recognized that good health is made up of many different facets. Although we understand the benefits of having healthy behaviors, for many of us, beginning new healthy habits can be challenging. My guest this episode is the wonderful Beanie Robinson. She's a professional in the field of health and helps clients find creative ways to make beneficial changes in their lives. I was grateful to get to talk with her from her home in London and she shares some of her experiences and knowledge. Thank you, Beanie. Can you start off by telling me just a wee bit about yourself? I am a yoga teacher. I um, work as a nutritional therapist and I'm a masseuse. And my sister and I have a company together called The Health Space and she is a psychotherapist. So we work together um, with, yeah, in lots of different areas, mainly with clients where um, we have like this quite a lot of crossover. We're talking about health today. So before we get deeper into your work with that, can you describe what health means? Okay. So I suppose to me, I suppose it's different for everybody, but for me, it would be something that's quite holistic that looks at, you know, mental, emotional, um, fitness, nutrition, you know, it looks at the whole body. It looks at the physical, it looks at the mental, it looks at the emotional, it looks at the spiritual, it looks kind of encompasses the whole thing. 
right so broad, then, broad spectrum yeah broad broad spectrum i yeah. think and then obviously within that there are different facets which contribute to probably what you we, we would consider to be good health yeah um and i suppose it's it's always on the spectrum isn't it it's always changing like how do we define good health i think it's always a balancing act mm. you know you think you're in good health and then something crops up and then you have to address that especially as we get older that idea yeah. of health and like keeping on top of our health becomes probably more important you know when you're younger we think you're a bit more invincible what's your sort of story with health then when did you think yes this is this is something important to me uh I think it had it originally come from my mum who was just always like super into healthy eating before it was cool so people thought she was weird she was really into like supplements from the states you know 20 years ago 25 years ago when people didn't take supplements and they also thought it was weird so there was like a lot of stuff that she did when we were growing up that at the time I was like um is this really necessary and then I look at her now and she's in her mid-60s and she's in like such incredible shape that it's like you can see it really paying dividends now like it's really she is in great health and then I suppose for me it really sparked after I'd lived in Buenos Aires and we'd had a I'd had a year there and it was like a particularly unhealthy year, mainly for fun reasons. You know, we were like having a lot of fun. We were going out a lot. We were, you know, eating lots of steak at late at the night. You know, their barbecue start at 11 p.m. So and the combination, I think for me, after a year, I was like, my body is not responding well to this. Like I need to change something up. So when I left Argentina, I went to Colombia and, you know, the diet was really, very different there. And I met my brother and we had three months together and we would we were really active and we were doing like loads of fun sports stuff and loads of hiking and we were pretty much in the jungle and we were eating like it was mango season and avocado season we were literally just Mm. picking them off the jungle floor and eating them so we the diet just transformed almost overnight when I landed in Colombia and within like 10 days I felt like a completely different person like energetically and within my body felt totally different and I was like this is what I need to be putting in like this stuff makes me feel good and I know this is different for everybody but for my for me and for my body I knew this was what was working so it sounds like after or when you went to Colombia that's when your seed got planted on a different health journey as it were that's sometimes what people people need to experience that is maybe at first they don't change their habits but it's just planting that seed and then allowing it to be a journey without without expectations I think makes it a little bit easier so could you explain about your work that you do now yeah totally and one interesting um thing I had about planting a seed was I had a client and it transpires that you know for 15 years of her marriage she's always her and her husband have had a bottle of wine a night that's just their routine and so I said so what about um two nights of the week you don't have that half a bottle and she just looked at me like I was crackers and I was like, okay, cool, not now, but I'm just saying maybe at some point you would want to try just one or two nights of the week where you don't have that. She's like, but we've always done that. And I was like, okay, well, let's leave that for now. So I parked that up, didn't mention it again. And I'd seen her a few more times. And then about six months later, she was like, so that thing you mentioned about maybe not drinking two nights of the week, she's like, I'm up for trying it. And I was like, okay, cool. And it just, it grew and grew and grew. And now she's like, you know, very much like looks forward to a glass of wine at the weekend. But it kind of, she just realized that it actually made her feel really nice not 
having booze every night. Right. And, and But it was a really slow trans, transgression and she needed to get there on her own. Like me planting the seeds, she then had to like sit with that, process that, and then get to a point where she was like, I'm ready to try that. Yeah. You know, because sometimes we're introduced to something that we're not yet ready to do. So someone suggests something, you're like, I know that that would probably be good for me, but I'm not quite there yet. Right. A lot of behavioral change comes about that way, right? I don't know how you were when you first started yoga, but for me, I was quite skeptical. It took me a few classes before I actually gave it an opportunity, despite going to the classes. And I think that can often be what puts people off, is not giving enough time to absorb something or even allowing themselves to try something, give it up, and then come back to it. Did you notice any other changes with this lady? Did she start to use that as a springboard for other Yeah, I think I think it was for her about feeling in control of it and feeling mm-hmm. like she had the power to make herself feel good. And some quite small changes made quite profound effects to the way that she felt about herself and how she felt she looked. Generally, people feel quite empowered knowing that they've done that themselves. What are some of the techniques you use to try and help people establish new habits? I think the, the main thing is understanding their lifestyle. Because suggesting something that doesn't fit into their lifestyle is never going to happen. And then also really asking them how much do they want something. Because if someone kind of wants something or kind of wants to make a change, it's probably not going to happen. Like, is it a priority for you? And I do say this to people when I start working with them. I'm like, this isn't going to have to be a priority forever. But for now, if you want to see proper change, you're going to have to make this a priority. What's possible with the lifestyle that you lead? What small changes can we make? And often I'd say like small, small changes slowly, but like commit to small change. And then kind of that can allow for bigger change to happen further down the line. But yeah, start just start with one change, one habit, one new habit, one new thing that's actually realistic and then commit to that. Do you have a lot of people coming in with what they think is their goal and then you have to change what the goal really is for them? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you have to have a really honest conversation and be really realistic and be like, is what you think you want actually achievable with the lifestyle that you lead? You know, do you want to have six pack abs, but you still want to go out three nights of the week and go out to restaurants? Because the two are not really they don't they're not really that aligned. You know, Western medicine is incredible and it works fast. Natural health does not work fast. And it's also something that we have to keep working on, you know. So it's not you don't get to this end point of being like, right, I'm healthy now. That's it. Tick that box. It's kind of something that has to continuously be maintained. And we talk about kind of preventative health care. Like we have to keep on top of it, both our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health. All of that, you know, it's constantly tweaking stuff to make sure that we kind of try and find some kind of balance. A lot of that is sort of self-kindness and allowing yourself to make mistakes and not letting those mistakes be the end of what you're trying to achieve, which is relapse, right? So what's your advice to people that relapse? I think being accountable to someone is really important, which is one of the things that I think that's really beneficial about seeing a nutritional therapist or a therapist, somebody checking in with. And I think regular check-ins are really important. Like I think sometimes people have this idea that they could go to a nutritional therapist and that kind of, and everything's going to be sorted. Unfortunately, I think that actually that one-time thing, unless you just want a bit of advice and then that's, that can be really effective, but actually 
checking in with someone regularly and being accountable and someone being like, okay, how's that gone? The successes, the challenges, what do we need to tweak? What's working? What's not working? What do we need to find alternatives for substitutes? You know, where are you at? What, you know, how, how is this plan working? And then when someone falls off the wagon, as it were, or whatever, I think it's about checking in and then being like, literally draw a line under that and start afresh. No guilt. No, I, I mean, it's much easier said than done, but like, we're not, we're not laboring on it. It happened. We acknowledge that it happened. We reflect on the fact that it happened and then we move on and then you're back on the plan. What would you start with to somebody who's like, okay, I've got to do something. I don't really don't want to do very much. Okay. So there's a guy called Dr. Chatterjee. You're probably familiar with him. He's a GP and he keeps it super simple. He's like, let's move our bodies in some way every day. Move your body. Do something for your mind, anything. For some that might be playing the piano, for other that might be sitting quietly for 10 minutes with a cup of tea. For some it might be an hour of meditation. For another it might be a run. But do something that gives you headspace. Sleep, we really need to sleep. Like I'd say even more important than nutrition, we need to sleep. With, with, you know, being sleep deprived, we make poor decisions, both in terms of food choices, but in terms of big life decisions also. Mm. We are less rational and sleep from rest which is something that I think in you know western world well probably all over the world to be honest not just the western world but we're not that good at rest I think we don't really understand what rest is like rest is not five beers going out which is also fine <laughs> but that's not rest you know I think people are like well I'm not working so it's resting it's like that's not rest rest is like a bath and lying on the sofa reading your book and being in bed at 9 30 10 p.m and then sleeping the next day till like 7 8 you know, that's rest, like something that is really switching in, into that parasympathetic nervous state, that rest and digest state, getting you out of that sympathetic nervous state. Um, so sleep, rest, moving your body, doing something for your mind and then food. Like, you know, we are what we eat or what we absorb more like. So actually, you know, if you put if you put in the good stuff, it's going to you know, change energetically, you know, it's going to definitely change yeah. how you feel about yourself. You mentioned your mum earlier being in excellent health. What are your thoughts on preventative medicine in our society in general? Oh, I think preventative healthcare is amazing. And it, and it can be really small things like just improving the quality of your diet, you know, getting in more fruits and veggies, getting the antioxidants, the phytonutrients, you know, perhaps having better quality meat if you like meat um, and maybe having it a bit less often and a bit better quality um, and then have something that's going to offer you all of the amazing nutrients that you would get from a good quality piece of meat aside from all of the environmental factors of eating you know cheap meat and then the foundations which again as we said like getting good sleep and rest and also I guess surrounding yourself with people that make you feel good like that and you know positivity yeah like definitely you know finding a tribe and people that you know really encourage you and what you do and support you and build you up basically Mm. I think that's really important so like a social and mental health almost yeah Yeah. totally something perhaps I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought I think of mental health but your friends are part of that mental health yeah yeah absolutely and I think we've all probably had experiences where you've hung out with people that don't make you feel that good and actually that does have an effect on how you feel about yourself Or, or hanging out with a group of people that previously were really good mates and you don't feel that maybe you're on the same level anymore for no no one's fault you've just kind of drifted yeah. and therefore hanging out with them isn't this really nourishing wonderful experience that it should be when you hang out with a friend you kind of come away feeling a bit like 
or I don't really feel like they got me or they understand me. Yeah, I think that's a good lesson in general, actually. As it is the Yoga Mat podcast, yes. um, for myself, I've enjoyed this journey of yoga and it's taken me from the idea of it being a physical supplement to the the sports I was doing initially to then go on to find meditation and breathing and all these different um, benefits of it. Is that something you advocate for when you're helping people with their health? Um, I, for me, because for me, the yoga is a completely personal journey. And if other people enjoy that, that is wicked. But I don't feel the need to push it on anybody. Because okay. I think, you know, what I get from yoga, I think other people get from other things. Do you know what I mean? Right. So like, for me, it's, you know, it started as, as you said, something very physical. And then it moved to something that, you know, for me now, the yoga is barely about the physical and it's all about the motion, you know, the mental benefits. You know, the, 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 the poses are now kind of less. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they were initially, they were very, you know, it was all about the poses. And, you know, I think I had to just ground myself physically in my body before I could even get to understand how far it could take you mind wise. And then that kind of led to the meditation thing. So that is much more important for me now. Even though I love teaching yoga, I also understand that these are poses and we can also do lots of other forms of that physical in yeah. our body and still feel, and feel also very, very good from it and feel fit and healthy. Perhaps yeah. you see this in your clients. Once you become more aware of your body, you perhaps start look a little bit more inward to why does my body feel like this? And I've met mm. people that have got into yoga through meditation, but I think a majority of people I meet start with asana and then they fall into all these other benefits that you're basically trying to teach people in your in your work absolutely yeah Yeah, and I think that was also for everyone that's an incredibly personal journey and some people just love the physical side of it and they don't need they don't want any other that's all they need yeah of course and that's also cool like it's still a great practice um but I suppose for me it became so much more than that and that's where and it is really fundamental to how I live a lot of my life not not just like because I get on the mat and just do a really dynamic class but just because it plays into so many other areas of my life yeah because I suppose so so I can get into a headspace of wanting to like you know you really clear about where you're headed and I think you kind of try and you know manicure or manufacture where you want to be without but, and then that kind of can lead to a lot of frustrations if things don't happen in exactly the way that you hoped they were going to happen. But instead, stepping back and letting some of that stuff go and just being like, I'm just going to let this happen and let this play out and stop forcing things, but just let things happen at the time they're meant to happen. And then it's easier to tune in a little bit more to that flow state. One final question. Could you tell me what advice you would give to the young Beanie Robinson? Oh, that is a tricky one but I would for me the main thing with that is I would say stop worrying stop I, worrying and just start living and start enjoying and not be scared of making mistakes you know just go for it and if you make the mistake that's fine you're probably going to learn from it and then do better the next time I think that you know I've, st- I've not done things in the past for fear of not being able to do them to the to the you know to perfection and actually that doesn't really matter you just got to take that first step and then you don't have to see the whole staircase. You just need to see the first step and start climbing. Excellent. Like and then, yeah, now allow it to unfold. Allow the oh. journey to unfold. I love that. So just get on the staircase and see yeah, where it leads. Yeah, get on that staircase. <laughs> <laughs> Health is something we all need in order to live life. 
whether it's so you can enjoy your time with friends and family, to find inner peace and happiness, or whether you want to challenge yourself. Building healthy habits is something we can all benefit from. There's always ways to implement new behaviors into your own life, and no matter how small those efforts may seem, they're all worthwhile. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Yoga Mat Podcast. If you have any questions or ideas for other things you'd like to hear on this podcast, please visit cultivatehealth.co.uk or write to me at theyogamatpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep smiling. Namaste.